broadcast here. Horsey, do you copy? Copy. Paulos are in position. Waiting on your message to be delivered to Reaper. Uh, looks like he's getting in there. Take cover. Horsey, we're going in. And we'll bring in heavy spoilers. Welcome to Hail Reaper. My name is Philip, and this is my good friend Jeremy. What is up? Not a lot. Just finished uh, packing up some orders from the Etsy store to send out, and dropped them off at the post office. I'm excited. That's been a, it's been humbling. I'll say that much. It has. We've gotten really great response, and everyone's super cool. So what's been going on? Give me one new thing from your life other than Hail Reaper. Uh, is anything new nowadays though with COVID? I've not asked anybody who's given me an honest answer of like if they've come up with anything new. So well, for me, how about this? I think it's time to finally start watching Mandalorian season two. Yes. If you haven't done that yet, you have to get on the ball, man. Are you wearing your Mando sweatshirt right now? I can't see in the video. Yeah, I've got uh, Mando with uh, Grogu. There we go. It's my Christmas present. I think it's time. I think tonight I'll start. I'll check it out because I have somehow evaded all spoilers. Um, The Internet has not killed it for me. So we'll see if I can get there. We'll see if I can make it through without getting spoiled. A lot of people asked us, hey, why didn't you do a Severo episode in season one? And we're like, we actually didn't feel like he played a critical role to the book. In a sense that he was an accessory to Darrow, not necessarily like a fully formed character. Like he was just kind of Darrow's, I hate to use this word, but it's kind of true. And even Darrow admits it later. And we'll talk about that. He used him as a tool. Book two is not that, man. Book two is like, it is Severo Unchained. And I'll say this. Severo is my favorite character in Golden Sun, like hands down. Like I love everything he does. I love every time he's on the page. I was anxious for him to show up. Like in Golden Sun, it took, I was like, it's taking too long. Like, where's Severo? (laughs) And um, he's here, you know, we get to talk about him and we have a whole episode. I kind of want to just take a few minutes almost to just celebrate him. Let me, let me kick it to you on this. What is your favorite? Not maybe the most important, not one we're going to talk about later, which we consider the most iconic. But what is your personal favorite several scene in Golden Sun? My favorite actual scene of uh, Golden Sun is kind of right into the Iron Rain when they're all buried in mud and they escape and Severo actually just like breaks down. Hmm. And it's my favorite because we've never seen this side of Severo all through book one. I mean, I say the word comic relief. I don't know if some of his super fans will get offended by that or something, but there's still an argument there to be made. And He's so much more evolved, I guess, is is maybe a a decent word to use here. And Pierce does something with him that kind of brings more like a leveled humanity, I guess. Well, I think that Pierce just kind of turns everything that we loved about Severo from book one up in book two, period. He's more violent and more vicious. 
he's more caring, he's more empathetic, he's more everything. In a way, in book two, the escalation of finding out more about Darrow, it's the same thing. We're finding out more about Severo. If I'm gonna go ahead and pick a favorite scene, it's his entrance. Lightning lashes the clouds outside, thunder rumbles, and I hear something. Another flash of lightning, and he appears, floating in the bitter storm like the ugliest angel ever shit out of heaven. A wolf pelt hangs from his shoulders. His black metal helmet is that of a wolf's head, and he's armed to the bloody teeth. <laughs> I love the entrance. When we're talking about it, I have this feeling of, especially on the audiobook, like TGR, who's the narrator, he is just making it feel so alive, so vivid, so much fun. And I was like, I just can't help but like have music behind this and just hearing that rainstorm sound. And I wanna like feel it. He walks into the room where Darrow is at and he's stomping around like he's got disgust for that low gravity of Luna. And he's just like, I'm better than this. He just changes like everything in the book beforehand was like kind of prim proper gold, you know, like it was like the Rokes and the and the Darrows and the, the, the Sovereign and all these characters that are a little more the highfalutin golds. And he is just he brings this atmosphere into the book instantly that is like gritty and like severe and I love like just that entrance because it just it adds this whole nother texture to the book that we didn't have up until that point. We talked about it a little bit, and that's just that evolution of Sephiroth between the two books. I wonder if there was like an intentionality of that, because in book one, he kind of became this fan favorite. But for the same reason that you and I didn't do a Sephiroth episode, his character wasn't really filled out, so to speak. Yeah, I get that. And he really did that in this book. So I wonder if there was like almost a fandom influence. What do you think? I'm not sure about that. Okay. I think maybe Pierce just noticed it himself. You know, I, I would doubt, but maybe it's possible that people just kind of shot back and were like, you got to put this character in the book more. <laughs> like, I think Pierce uh, does listen to his fans and he's really good at that. But at the same time, I would hardly ha think that would influence such a huge part of the book because Severo is not... He doesn't use him as a minor role again. He he throws him to the forefront, like, big time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he really brings those other traits forward. He makes him more more human, so to speak, and, and fills him out. And, I, yeah, I was just, I just had that thought. I was wondering if, like, you know, Pierce saw that in Severo and was like, you know, I didn't kill him off with the death hat last time, so yeah. I, I definitely want to just continue this, and I want to really see where Severo can take me. Uh, yeah. Or if it was like, oh, Severo's a fan favorite, I got to play to that. No, I don't think he did that. But we can ask him one day if we ever get to chat him up about it. For sure. For me, like another thing that I just want to mention before we kind of uh, dive in a little deeper to an individual scene is how this character is giving us all the levity in the book. We talked last week how about essentially like the book is just really somber and it has it's kind of murky and cloudy and versus book one, which actually has some pretty funny moments, you know, like Mustang kind of pops in and has some good bars, uh, makes you laugh a little bit. Little pinecone cousins. Pinecone cousins, all timer. <laughs> Other characters make you laugh. There's a wittiness, there's a twee to it, but that doesn't happen in book two. It's a pretty right. serious book, except for Severo. Like Severo is the one that is giving you all the levity and bringing in those jokes. He's collecting eyeballs, like Plenty's eyeball and stuff like that. And he's like, <laughs> I can't wait to finish the set. And you know, it's just funny. You know, even if it's vicious and brutal, it's still funny. 
the interesting thing about that is even though he's making you laugh he's also the character that's probably dealing with the most tragedy in the book overall mm. um so like he loses quinn the woman he loves he loses his father he loses his best friend by the end of it in between those moments he's also losing three og howlers and rot back weed and harpy like he's like he's literally losing people left and right but yet he's the one providing us with the humor and i actually just appreciate that about Severo. it kind of makes him feel more like a friend you know like he's just there with you he's 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 kind of giving you that uh that lift up you need in this book to kind of make those harder moments a lot more digestible and that's just what i love about him that's why he's my favorite character in the book like i said before and that's why i just i can't get enough of him inside golden sun yeah i kind of go back to one thing like pb doodles when we were talking to her about uh about Severo and why she likes him so much and i think she brought up a really good point it's kind of like what you were saying is he's just so true he he is what he is at face value uh, I like he's, that. he's crass you know and and he's not gonna he's not gonna filter himself he has no filter right so when he's hurting he just expresses that raw kind of emotion yeah and when he's when he wants to be crass, he just says whatever's on his mind. And that's yeah. kind of, that is the beauty of Severo, I think. Yeah, that's just like, that's why it makes him fun, makes him true, makes him is what he is. So that's enough about like Severo the character. Let's go ahead and take a break. And on the other side, let's talk about his most iconic moment inside Golden Sun. Broadcast here. No, I haven't lost the tape again. Quite the contrary. I did such a good job on the last one. I've gone and got myself a job doing this one as well. Not what I had in mind, but it's nice to me needed. So, where did I put that thing? Hang on. Uh, yeah, got it. Hail Reaper is brought to you this week by Tarikian Law. If you're seeking legal counsel or you're in a situation that you're not sure how to handle, Tarikian Law might just be the answer. They offer a free consultation to assess your situation because not every attorney is the right professional for the job. The great thing about Tarigian Law is that there's no double speak, no confusing language, no upfront commitment, just a conversation with someone who wants to understand what you're going through and help you get to the next step. If you are Terran, getting started is easy. Just call 559-627-5399 or if you have access to the Holonet, visit TarigianLaw.com. That's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com. No matter the circumstance, we all deserve some peace of mind. So stop sitting with the uncertainty and get the advice you need today. Once again, that's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com or call 559-627-5399. Tarigian Law. The advice you need, minus the BS. Okay, Jeremy, we're going to pick it up in chapter 23. That chapter is called Trust. It's a wonderful, beautiful chapter. One of my favorites in the book. Top three, probably. I, I'm, I, I can't say for certain, but I love it. But for those people who haven't read Golden Sun in the last week or so, which is probably most of you, let's set the stage and let's kind of tell you where we're at. We're coming out of a full-on tailspin. Action scene, threaded to action scene. And this kind of all starts back at the gala. Daryl defeats Cassius. And then that kind of ushers in the linchpin of Civil War. Daryl goes to see Octavia, they get out, invade the Vanguard, which they rename the Pax. Through all this, Quinn dies, and it's a huge blow to Severo specifically. You know, this is the woman he loves, like truly loves, and 
Mustang prods Daryl, you gotta go be with your friend. So this is where we're at. And it kind of all climaxes here at this moment where Severo knows something about Daryl that we did not expect to happen. He's not bluffing. And I know what I wanna say, but how can it be? Severo is a gold, a bloody damn gold. He heard me say bloody damn to Apollo. He covered it up, didn't he? Or was that a mistake? Is he trapping me? No, no. If that's true, then the game is already over. Eo's dream has failed. Who is closer to me than he? Who loves me more than the strange, nasty outcast? No one. So I look him in his dull gold eyes. Ares sent you. I just remember my stomach falling <laughs> into my butt. You and I both did this audiobook first, right? Yeah. Definitely. I've read it since, and you have read it since, but TGR does this amazing thing where he actually takes a literal pause right after he says Aries sent you, so you have to collect yourself. What is going to happen? What is the next sentence going to be? Because the secret is out. This big thing that Daryl has been hiding his whole journey from all golds is now out. This is a tense scene, man, and I was I was really fearful for Darrow. I mean... Like he mentions in this in this quote that you read, he hid the bloody damn comment. But mm -hmm. I, I think for me, it, there was still that like plausible deniability that Severo had where you're kind of in denial, you know, and, and maybe he was kind of hiding that from himself because I, I didn't fully trust Severo. And, and again, I, it kind of plays back to what we already talked about where Severo's character and, and his attributes are really filled out in this book. And it's the Iron Rain where I kind of became on board with Severo. So I get that. At this point, I didn't trust him yet. And I, I thought that you know, Darrow was just really putting himself out there and risking a ton. Yeah, he does. I mean, he does. This is a this yeah. is a huge risk. Like, you can't say it any other way. And and Severo says as much. He's like, I will not bleed for you. I will not die for you. I will not have my friends die from you. You're spending us. And you just mm. spent us. You just spent one of us, Quinn. She's dead. And it's kind of Darrow's fault if you really want to, like, talk about it. I mean, Roke clearly points the finger at him for that. But I, I don't think it's wrong to say that as reader, that's I point the finger at Darrow to a point too. You know, like why Quinn is dead. Yeah, I think a lot of people recognize that Darrow is uh, has a lot of problems, you know, and, and some troubles within his character arc. And that's certainly one of them that you just pointed out. I mean, up until this point, it's like, you know, Darrow's never put himself out there. Mm. He has used all of his friends. I mean, his relationship with Cassius and with Roke. And I mean, just name them all, right? And yeah, yeah. until this point, no one's gone out there and just called him to the floor and just said, hey man, this is it. It's ride or die, I'm walking out on you this instant. And you gotta really admire Severo in this moment yeah. for just calling it like it is. Darrow actually admits this internally, like in the dialogue that we get as a first person, present tense readers. He says that I've used the howlers as tools, you know, and but right before this conversation actually mm -hmm. happens. And, you know, that's obviously a good foreshadowing moment by Pierce, for, like as far as writing goes, but, you know, we didn't know like what that setup meant. Uh, but then going back on it, you're like, yeah. And he, I think he's, he doesn't say it explicitly, but he's clearly including Severo when he says the howlers, I've used them as tools. And so he's just kind of spending them uh, one by one, uh, you know, in various ways. And now that can't happen anymore. And, and he, we have this moment that is so cool because it, what happens at the, you know, the translation of all this is he puts himself out there and he is rewarded because Severo comes as a friend as a true friend mm -hmm. and it bleeds over 
and they cry together. At least Daryl cries, and Severo almost cries, which is I think <laughs> which is true to Severo, right? Yes. And then what I think of the on this moment is Daryl's never had a friend. I mm. I mean that very seriously. Mustang is probably the closest he's come, uh, but Mustang's not all the way on the inside. So what? Because my interpretation of a true friend is like like Severo, his his interpretation is letting it all hang out, letting the ugly be there too, or the secrets. Yeah, for sure. And you know, we go if you want to go all the way back to like the minds of Lycos when Darrow is talking about friends, he mentions like Lauren, Kieran, uh, like Uncle Narrow, and old Barlow as a friend. Like they, <laughs> they don't seem like good hangs. Like as far, I mean, maybe his brother, but either way, now he's got this person in his life that he can be a hundred percent, a hundred percent transparent with and really just have on his side and man I, I love it I it makes me emotional every time I read it every time I listen to it however I encounter it I just feel like pulled into it and and Severo is the the accent piece for that I feel pulled into it because of him and how he's willing to just say you've got to do it reap just reach out and like just tell me like what's up you know I love that yeah, I like what you said about um, kind of spending his friends. It's almost like there's this this idea of friendship capital, and Darrow's kind of he's using it up. I mean, that that's kind of one of the the major like themes, I guess you could say, in this book is is kind of that that falling back of his friendships. I mean, uh, Roke's probably the best example of that, of course. And you know, he really risks that with Severo in this moment. I mean, he could easily have been kind of left with nobody. And luckily he, he didn't make that decision. I think that was a good one for him. But I think for me, like, I have a question because I understand Darrow's love for Severo. Yeah, yeah. Severo is this nasty little gold, essentially the, the runt of the litter. Very few people like him. He's not as physically amazing as everybody else. And, and there's so many other ways to describe that, but people understand what I'm saying. And, you know, Darrow is a red. Darrow is out to overthrow the gold society yeah, yeah. and have red rise. So I can see Darrow loving underdogs, why he loves Severo. What I actually don't understand exactly is why Severo loves Darrow so much. I mean, Darrow's used him up until this point. When you said nasty little gold, I actually smiled really big. I was like, oh, like, yeah, <laughs> like he is that. Like, But either way, your question was essentially, why does Severo love Darrow so much? Yes. Okay. I think that if I'm gonna like just kind of riff on this, I think that it's a couple things, but primarily, if I wanna go back to uh, the scene in Red Rising, which House Minerva captures both Cassius and Darrow in the lock. Uh, uh, so House Minerva has got them trapped. They're just, they're getting hypothermia, both uh, mm -hmm. Cassius and Darrow, but Severo is the one that rescues them from that moment. And he says something really cool, like after that rescue, he says, you're like me, pointing to Darrow, but you're also like him. I think that's like really noteworthy to actually like kind of come up with that because that rather for Pierce Brown to come up with that to kind of foreshadow a little bit because they're like each other because Darrow, it, it, you can't really remove his redness fully. He's still all red. Even if you put, you can put the, as many masks on him, you can teach him all the rhetoric, you can teach him all the language, you can teach him all the culture and all the orient you want, but right. you can't get rid of that underlying just he detests gold and it's there it just it's just it's still visible in some way and Severo has that same kind of feeling towards gold because they've always rejected him because he is that nasty little gold or that bronzy <laughs> that you mentioned he's a yes. bronze so he's been marginalized and he's been oppressed in some way shape and form by gold culture and Darrow as a red clearly has been oppressed and marginalized by gold culture 
So it's the first time ever that Severo sees himself inside gold. He's never seen, and, and at that point, Darrow is a high draft pick. He is like, he is the, the first pick by House Mars, 10th overall. So Severo's looking at Darrow like, you're like me, you know? And that's like a big deal. That's, a, that's something that he's never had before. So I think that's why he loves him. And that's why he has this huge affinity for him. Yeah, I really like that take. I think if you contrast that to some of the other colors, it would it would make sense in this kind of regression, like that that commonality between Darrow and Severo, I think really would facilitate that. And, you know, in this book, you really see Severo on the rise mm -hmm. and everything else like we've talked about, especially in the last episode, just kind of overview of the book. It's like, this is a very regressive book. I mean, Darrow is coming off of a high place and he has to get to another low place again before yeah. he can rise in, in the in the third book. So you really see everything regress except for this relationship with Severo. It's it's like, I don't want to say it's the one thing because I might just not be thinking of others, but it, it certainly sticks out to me as like one of the things that is actually moving forward. Severo unlocks this aspect, this kind of concept of how important friendship is to Darrow because his fake family is not real, so he doesn't really have a family <laughs> yeah. uh, in the gold culture. And then also his red family, he has no ability to get in touch with them, obviously, because if he did, he could put them in great danger. So he's just kind of on an island. And that's what I, I just love this, this threshold crossing for Severo. He's going from just like one, a tool in book one, Severo by Darrow. He's used as a tool. Then he's in this book, he's kind of used more as a friend. But in this moment, chapter 23, he's crossing over to be a brother. Because as we know later, you find out Severo is also half red. So there is true kinship here. But it raises this question, like, what about the others? What about the other friends? Why does he kind of almost dismiss the other ones? Like he completely dismisses Roke. He completely dismisses Tactus. And they suffer and they fade because of it. And eventually leads to downfall in various ways. So I don't know about you, but why do you think that, you know, what's your kind of response to that? Like, you know, you're, he's he's cashing in Severo, but by the inverse is he's essentially throwing <laughs> Roke and Tactus and a few others in the toilet. Makes it tough, you know? I think you can look at it in a couple of different ways. And, and my take on it personally, and this could definitely be the wrong one, but, but my take all the same is just that like Darrow is in this, this funk. I think last week you called it a melancholy kind of attitude yeah. that, that Pierce said, and he was intentionally writing Darrow that way. I think if you kind of go with that thematically, uh, I think it makes sense that Darrow doesn't necessarily always make the best decisions. Like, obviously, they they turn out to be the right decisions, and, and it works out for him. And and we know, yeah, that's that's true. Good point. But it, it works out for him, I guess you could say, in, mm -hmm. in the end. And we know that. But it's like, you know, his decisions with with Tactus, his decisions. Obviously, I think Roke is is my favorite example. As I've said many times, it's like you know, Roke kind of was his salvation in a sense. Roke was just loves Darrow and was ready to buy out his contract, was ready to kind of save him. And, yeah. and at one, at on one side, it's like Darrow understands that and turns around and, and saves him out of everybody else. But, but then it just throws him to the curb. And, and there's a lot of that, that essence that doesn't make sense, but, but ultimately the decision was wrong. And he kind of continues to make these, these poor decisions throughout the book with, with relation to these these gold friends he has. Yeah. Um, I mean, one that comes to mind for me in particular is his relationship with Ragnar and his divulging the fact that he's a, a red to him in the in the freezer. And 
that doesn't make sense from a logical standpoint. I mean, you have this guy that he even describes uh, in the in the paragraph as alien. Like he doesn't he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand who Ragnar is, and Ragnar refutes him at every point. Yeah. You know, says no, you're a god. Uh, you know, and, <laughs> no like, man, every, you're god. Okay. Every time he tries to set him straight, Ragnar's just not having it, and then he comes to this moment where he's like, okay, I'm just gonna tell him I'm a red. Or at least it seemed like that when I was reading it. Um, And that just seems incredibly, I don't want to say stupid, but but just like, it seems like a poor decision to make. I think it's a poor decision because I think, you know, he could, that could have went dramatically wrong, obviously. So it could go very wrong. So it is a poor decision, but it was maybe the right decision. And obviously Mm -hmm. it created this bond between these two characters that meant something really deep and powerful. So uh, if you're talking about logically, yeah, bad decision. You're talking about for purposes of story, uh, great decision. Absolutely, yeah. It ends up paying off for us, the readers, because we get this awesome, you know, duo of these two characters. He's obviously been emboldened by his conversation with Severo. Darrow is seeing himself in these low colors, and he doesn't know that Severo is half red at this point, but he's kind of like feeling it out. Like, I can, but either way, even if Severo is not, even if he doesn't know he's half red, he knows that he's been pushed down, punished, and oppressed and marginalized by the gold culture. Ragnar has too. And so that's what he's seeing. He's seeing, he's kind of going within his little inner circle going, who's been put down? Who's been like the one that has been, uh, you know, not not on the top of the pyramid? I want to get that guy. And so, and Ragnar is a big prize. So let's go after it. Let's kind of double down on this, this process that I went, went through with Severo and then kind of bring that to life. And then if I can kind of have this little trio, which clearly, you know, uh, exists, like the the Ragnar Severo trio exists by the end of book two for sure, and definitely into book three. They're kind of like this little, you know, they're the little three musketeers, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that's why I think he does that. That's why I think he's kind of just doubling down on his uh, Severo conversation with Ragnar. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And um, yeah, I like your your three musketeers I, comment too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to I steer it back to Roke really quick. Okay, um, yeah, for sure, do it. Oh, Roke. Okay. So a lot of people have very <laughs> complex feelings about this character. Uh, I do too, actually. Um, I don't know where I stand. A lot of people think, you know, maybe he could have been part of the rising, you know, given the opportunity. He doesn't get that opportunity. Darrow doesn't offer it to right. him. But I just don't understand how Darrow handles it from a friendship aspect. And clearly these two people see the world differently, but so does uh, like a lot of other people that Darrow has gotten close with, you know? And Roke is in love with him, like not sexually, but he's definitely in love with him. He has this big draw into him. And you said they're like, uh, Roke is Darrow's salvation. And there's just, there's obviously something here that is really big and it it means a lot, but yeah, he just continuously leaves him out of plans. He leaves him out of, uh, knowledge of of what's going to happen next. Uh, and just doesn't, doesn't give him the time of day. And I, I will always be puzzled by that. I'm sure a reader or a listener, excuse me, We'll have a good answer for this that I just don't. I'm just puzzled by it because if I think about it in context of my own life, why would I be such good friends with someone and willing to trust them in so many instances, but then all of a sudden just turn that off? Like, I don't really get that. Um, and I get there's a lot of dynamics at play, red, gold, blah, blah, blah. But still, it just, to me, it doesn't compute. Um, so if you guys have a good theory, any listeners, let us know. And maybe maybe if we ever get to talk to Pierce about it, you know, we'll talk to him about it. But what do you think? Any any comments on Roke before we kind of keep going? 
Yeah, I, I tend to like Roke and kind of in reference to his acceptance of the the rising, I don't know that he would. I, I kind of like to think that he would if I'm pushed to speculate in that area. Uh, but he doesn't really even get the chance because Darrow's kind of being outed as a red that we see toward the end of the book um, is really wrapped in deception and, and rejection for Roke. And there's a lot of a lot of sadness and a broken heart there. And so it's easy to see why he would rail so hard against Darrow in that moment. Um, but, you know, you can what if this all day long. I don't want to get too far down the road, but I just wanted to kind of point that out. Yeah, I don't want to play that game either because we don't know. There's no alternate Red Rising reality. I know we tried to create one once, but <laughs> I think that's the one that's almost too big to answer, the rogue question. Yeah, it definitely is. These friendships are what make this book amazing and crazy and chaotic. You said it really well last week, and I love it, so I'm going to steal it. Darrow is sedentary. And the same is true of his friendships. Because his friendships are ebbing and flowing in the same way the events are ebbing and flowing. He's just kind of taking what he can get. He's adding Ragnar to his personal arsenal, doubling down on his relationship with Severo. I have this quote that I want to wrap up the podcast with. It's one of my favorites in the book. This is Severo talking to Darrow in chapter 23. Somehow they knew you could trust me, even if you didn't, shithead. Always been that way, always will be that way. Until next week, Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper is a production of Catacomb Party. Thanks to Pierce Brown for creating this universe, and thanks to all the contributors who make this show possible. We were engineered by Joshua Ramsey with editing and sound design by Math Ardelion. The bit of music you're hearing right now was written and produced by Sahab. If you enjoy what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. And follow at HailReaperPod on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for updates, giveaways, and more. You can support the show directly by joining our Patreon community, where we issue monthly bonus content, exclusive artwork, and hang about with all the howlers in the Discord. Visit patreon.com slash HailReaper to learn more. This is Broadcast signing off. Until next time, hail the gory damn reaper. Oh, my God.